it's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right, all it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a single three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a single three-pointer shot. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm joined as always by Nicholas J. Horwat here on this Wednesday evening as we are live on Facebook Live as well as Twitter. Horwat, how you doing, buddy? Doing good. I am really tired for some reason, but here we are. We're live. We're kicking it. Hopefully the live works out perfectly. We've had issues in the past, but... We're going to keep giving it a go for everyone's enjoyment. Here we are. And, well, the Penguins are a team, to start, to say the least. You know what they always say, if you're going to do it right, you're going to do it live. So that's why we're here, live, in color. And if you're listening back on the podcast version, we thank you for tuning in as well. As you mentioned, the Penguins are definitely a hockey team that plays hockey games. And sometimes those games go well, sometimes those games don't go well. And we'll definitely discuss the past two outings against the Washington Capitals, of course, that ended up being a split series there. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Gino Malkin because there's a lot to say about his performance so far and a lot to say about where it could go and where it might go and how the Penguins should handle Evgeny Malkin for the rest of the 2020-21 season. So we'll get into that a little bit later. And then, of course, we're going to finish it off with shout-outs and call-outs, which is always one of our favorite segments of the week. We love to end the show and end the week on that note. But let's start off. Penguins, Capitals, series split. Penguins win on Sunday, Valentine's Day, by a score of 6-3. to three. And then they come back on Tuesday in the turnaround game, and they lose it by a score of 3-1. to one. But realistically, it, it was over at 3 to nothing. and Zach Aston-Reese put a pity goal in just to take away Vitek Vanacek's first career shutout possibility. But for what? It's a very simple question that I want to start this show by asking. Are the Penguins a good team or are they a bad team? Uh, and that's a very, it's a simple question, but it's a very hard question to answer because we're in the lulldom of 500. So yes, we have great moments. We have a good team on paper, but at the same time, we have these bad moments and our good players are not playing well. 
So it's this weird gray area that teams hate to sit around. It's this 500 feeling of we're good, sort of, but we're also bad, sort of. And things can go either way any given night. It sucks to be in this position because you you want your team to be one way or the other so you can really dissect it and what's going good or what's going bad. But here we are at this state of, well, things are going good in some cases. We got a huge uh, win on Valentine's Day on Sunday that we recorded beforehand, so we couldn't really discuss it because that would have been a fun game to discuss. But we got a good win there, and it looked good. Things looked okay. We had our first multi-goal victory of the year. Uh, then we go into Tuesday and things don't look as good and things look pretty bad. So it's the shitty gray area of we are a good team, but we're also a bad team, give or take. We're a 500 team, and that's just the way it is. As to answer the question directly, is this a good or a bad team? Yes, <laughs> is my answer. They can be both. I, I don't see any reason why they can't be technically both. I mean, yeah, and especially considering that's what we are at um, seven, six, and one. Seven, six, and one, exactly. It's basically, five hundred. Other, other than the fact that they lost one game in overtime, and it's good enough to put them in fifth place in the division, which is not a playoff spot, but it is right on the doorstep of a playoff spot. And whether or not this team is good or bad. It is very important for the Pittsburgh Penguins because that determines the direction that you want to go in. You are in the point of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin's career where you have to look at it and say, all right, if we're not good this year, do we have the pieces to turn it into a good team next year? Or is it over? And that's a question that's going to be asked several times over the next couple of years. Is it time to just call it quits? Is it time that the window is shut? It's time to reset and see what we can do in the post-Crosby, post-Malkin era, or the post of their prime. Because there is also a time where we might have Sidney Crosby not in his prime as the team is rebuilding. But that's that's a different conversation for a different day. Is the Pittsburgh Penguins team that has played the first 14 games of this season good or bad? I think on paper, yes, they're a good team. I think they're constructed yeah. very well. I think Jim Rutherford before he left about eight games into the season, did a really good job constructing this team to succeed and bringing kind of a new blood and a new bloodline into this organization right now to see if we could switch things up a little bit. I think he did that very well. But at the same time, the performance is just not showing. There is definitely, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when talking about Tristan Jari, there's definitely a Jekyll and Hyde effect to what we're seeing out of Pittsburgh right now because I mentioned it with Tristan Jari. You're going to have a great game by him and then a not-so-great game by him. And we'll talk about Jari specifically in a little bit. But the team as a whole, I think that applies as well. I think this is a team that – and obviously this series being a perfect example here. Sunday you have a game where the Pittsburgh Penguins play their best game of the season. They win in regulation for only the second time this season against a division rival in the Washington Capitals. And they beat them by three goals, which is something that we, on that episode that we unfortunately had to record before, and that's going to happen, of course, yeah. but we recorded it before and we said we wanted to see the Penguins win a game in regulation by a couple goals. And that's what they went out and did on Valentine's Day. And that was good. And then, of course, you come back on Tuesday and the first period, shadows of what we saw on Sunday. It, it was a good first period. The Penguins had 10 shots on goal in the first 10 minutes of play. They did get a five-on-three for about 20 seconds. They did have pretty much 
three and a half, four straight minutes of power play, and the power play looked good. Yeah. You hit the post a couple times, you know, bad luck. And all of a sudden, they come out of the second intermission, and there's Hyde. There is the worst period of hockey played by the Pittsburgh Penguins in the entire season, and it nets them down two to nothing going into the third. But if you watch that second period, you didn't have to watch that third period. You knew exactly how the game was going to end it. It wasn't going to end with two points going in the Penguins point column. It was going to end with the Washington Capitals winning. Honestly, surprised it wasn't by a larger margin the way the Penguins played in the second and third periods on Tuesday night, but it's a Jekyll and Hyde effect. And is this team a good team? That's a good question. I don't know yet. I have seen this team be a very good team. And on paper, I think this is a good team. I think this is a playoff team. Whether or not it's a contender, again, I don't know because I've also seen that Hyde effect. I've seen what happened on Tuesday. I've seen what happened a couple weeks ago against the New York Rangers on a Monday night game when they wore their reverse retros that they looked absolutely pitiful. I don't know if this is a good team yet. Only time will tell. We're only 14 games in, but you have to figure it out pretty soon. Oh, you absolutely have to figure it out pretty soon. I am I took this note earlier today just because I looked at this question and I thought about it good, hard, and long. Like, is this actually a good team? Of course, I thought about it good, hard, and long and gave you no answer because it's just <laughs> that hard to answer. Um, but I came up with this little conclusion of if the team and or certain players, which I'm, which we will discuss eventually <laughs> and multiple times throughout the season here on end, um, if they're still playing this badly, and let's just say we're a bad team, if the team and these players are still playing badly around, I pinpointed like the early to mid-March range, we're hitting a crossroads where we have to accept one or the other. If things aren't turned around, we hit a crossroads of, okay, do we commit to this L we're going to be taking for the rest of the year? Because it's a shortened season. We can't look at the last end of the back end of the season and say, all right, maybe we can pull something together and squeak in. The end of the season this year is going to be hog wild. We're going to have to really string together regulation wins and important ones, no less, uh, because you're only playing your division. You can't hand out points whenever you're trying to hit a spot. I say we have until that mid-March range, which is a give or take three weeks, two to three weeks, three weeks. And at that point, if things aren't turned around and we can confidently have an answer on this question, that's when things will change. That's when things will really have to have a real discussion on if this team is good or bad or what we do for the rest of the year, because who knows what it means. I mean, it might come down to doing things with certain players, which again, I said, we'll get into. But I think that's what it's point. That's where it's at. We hit that point of the season, like I said, give or take a couple days after my birthday. So like maybe March 10th. Birthday's March 6th, everyone. Keep an eye out. <laughs> um, give or take. We get to that point and we're still at this 500 point. We're having issues. We got to be good. We cannot be at the unknown answer to bad. If we're a good team, we got to commit to it. If we're a bad team, we got to commit to it. And if we're in the middle, screw it take the L's fall out of the season. Cause we're, there's no rebuilding whenever you're only playing your division. So you're saying if I roughly in a month, we'll, we'll just, you, you were a little iffy on the week. We'll say roughly yep. in a month. Yep, yep. If the penguins are in fifth place in the division, which is where they sit right now, are you making that decision or does it not 
hinge directly on standings as it hinge on performance? It'll probably be performance because, I mean, standings will be weird. I, standings will be hard, especially whenever you're only playing one division. It's just um, you got to jumpstart this team somehow. If it's not changed by then, it's got to happen by then. And I think the big thing about this too is the fact that you have Crosby and Malkin. And the problem being, if you have a chance to make the playoffs with those two, you always feel that they could turn a corner. And you always feel that if we just get in, and if we get in and it just means something out of nowhere, a little bit more to some of these guys, not to say that it doesn't mean anything, but if, if they turn a corner once they hit the playoffs, there's always anything that's possible. You don't want to give up that opportunity with Crosby Malkin in the lineup, especially in the last couple of years. And, and Matthew Coldy on Twitter said, please be a bad team from a wild fan who obviously they have an unprotected first round pick. So I'm sure they're very excited to see the Pittsburgh Penguins, at least the way that they played on Tuesday. And of course, being around the 500 level, they'd probably love nothing more than us to be a lottery team. But at the same time, like you mentioned, it is going to be tough and it's going to be a tough decision for the Pittsburgh Penguins and for Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, because they're the first general managers that have come in here and have had the order. Yes. We want you to be a contender. We want you to win. We want you to maximize the opportunity for Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to win more Stanley Cups. But we also now want you to have an eye on the future because it's that time. It's that time to get an eye on the future. And whether this team is good or not, if they are in contention in the standings, if they are in contention for a playoff spot, there is no giving up on this season. I don't see it happening. I Just because of where Crosby and Malkin are in their careers – And because of how much success the Penguins have had over the last 15 years, they're not packing it in anytime soon. This is not a season to pack it in right now. Unless you are in seventh or eighth place in the division, you are not a quote-unquote seller at the deadline. We're not quite to that point of the season yet. But this team, whether they're good or not, we don't know yet. But we'll find out in the next month. And if they're anywhere close to a playoff spot, you have to imagine that the Penguins are not going to be a team that folds or that sells anywhere close to anything in the trade deadline. But to talk a little bit more about this team, what do you do with the lines right now? Because it seems like there's a clear dichotomy between two forward lines and the other two. seems like the first and the third line right now for the Pittsburgh Penguins are very effective and are playing very well. Meanwhile, the second and the fourth line are basically non-existent. And one of them is containing one of the top 100 NHL players of all time in Evgeny Malkin, yet they're still non-existent. So what do you do with the Lions Horwat right now if you're Mike Sullivan? God, that's so hard because that second line played well for a little bit. There was some time in there where you're looking at that second line of Malkin, Zucker, and Kapanen and going, this is a good line. This, this, these three can do something because Kapanen really kick-started something, it seemed. And just nothing has happened since then. I mean, he still looks fast. He still looks like he's getting his opportunities. Mm-hmm. This is just good old-fashioned eye test for me saying he looks fast he looks like he skates over the puck half the time and i'm talking about captain specifically yeah um, i don't know if he's just stick handles like i do and he's terrible at it or he's literally faster than the speed of light sometimes <laughs> but sometimes i just see his stick fly clear over the puck and he loses it but that being said this line looks like it still has some kind of jump in it malkin doesn't 
Zucker's in this weird middle ground of he looks good at times. It looks like he's going to get an opportunity, but then he just looks invisible. Others, like you don't even hear his name invisible. Then there's Kapanen who is playing at a top rate. He's playing top speed all the time, no matter what. That's one thing I've noticed from him. Something just has to click on that line. I don't know what it is, uh, but that's the second line. I think it's fine if it works. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a matter of getting it to work. I don't know what you can do with that right now. And then bringing on past that, there's the fourth line, which is just a smattering of guys. It's just guys. I mean, Sevier being in the lineup seems to be a little better. Then there's Lafferty, who, again, another guy that I didn't realize skates a thousand miles a minute. <laughs> did he pick did he find speed this offseason because he looks a lot faster to me he's always had the speed but he's always just shown it in training camp to me i mean he he has a lot of speed and seeing him completely i don't want to say dismember because he didn't dismember him but to see him knock over chara in the fashion that he did that was the first impressive thing that i've seen sam lafferty do all season you know he got under chara's skin and that was amazing to see even if we did lose sam lafferty took home a w yes the other day um, but he has no points. He's a minus five. Skating like the wind, but not producing the way we would like him to mm-hmm. at all. And I'm not saying we want him to produce because, I mean, he's a defensive forward. We don't expect him to produce a, a lot. But more than nothing, and to not be a minus five, especially for a quote-unquote defensive forward, it's just not looking good for him so far. I mean, he, Like I said, he looks quick, but that's it. That's all he's got. Jankowski had the start, had the good first two games, and then has uh, seen nothing since then. That's mm-hmm. brutal for him. So he, Lord only knows what to do there. And then there's Sevier, Sevier and O'Connor, which just, Sevier's good. O'Connor should be in the minors. I'll commit to fully saying that at this point. I get he oh. hasn't played since last recording. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> but. That's your boy. I know, but if you really think about it, he's got to progress. Yeah. You can't just, it's hard to jump from college to the NHL, man. And he's got to get some sort of, he's got to get his feet wet somewhere and it shouldn't be the NHL. Nothing against the kid. Like I, I said it before and I'll say it again. We're going to hear that name a lot in the future, mm-hmm. assuming we keep, we keep him and he sticks around. <laughs> but we should hear that name a lot in the near and far future. It's just not this year. We got too many things riding on a short season to be experimenting with kids. That's the way I'm looking at it right now with him. A short season would have been fun for him, but I mean, we experimented too much already with with kids in their first ex- with the, in their first experience in the NHL, i.e. P.O. Joseph. But he at least had a minor league season under his belt and has looked phenomenal. We'll get to the defense. Oh yeah, but that's that defense is a totally different story. We'll get to the defense because. When you say P.O. Joseph has looked phenomenal, I think you haven't watched the past three games, but we'll get to that. We don't he we still don't looks get, good. He hasn't looked he doesn't look bad in most cases, but he hasn't looked good in the last three games. Before we we'll get to that in just a second. I just want a couple thoughts on the forwards, unless you had something else with them. Nope, because our first line is perfect. Never change it. Forever and ever all men. Uh sign Brian Rust until the day he dies. I mean Brian Russ is on one of the best contracts in the NHL and I will die on that hill, but I don't necessarily agree that you shouldn't touch that line because this was the issue we had last year. Was it not? The Zach Aston Reese line was playing phenomenally. 
And we're like, we don't want to touch it. We don't, that line is playing so well that we don't want to mess up what they have. Well, here's right. the problem. You can't have half of your lineup playing like shit. You, you just can't. And here's the thing. You can't just sit there and say, well, I mean, let's hope they fix it. Eventually, eventually we're 14 games in now. Haven't fixed it. Evgeny Malkin hasn't looked good. Kasperi Kapanen kind of going down a shithole right now. And same with Jason Zucker, kind of going in a bad way, pointless in the last four games. You have to figure something out. And to me, one thing that you haven't tried yet, and we saw him switching the lines around, and by him, I mean Mike Sullivan. We saw Sullivan switching the lines around on Tuesday. We saw Tanev get up on there in the second line, maybe a little bit of a jolt of energy considering everything he has touched turns to gold except for that turnover on Tuesday that was absolutely egregious the first time I've been mad at Tanev all year. But maybe it's time to put Gensel with Malkin again. That's what I was thinking. I don't think you move Rust. I think you move Gensel down. Maybe it's time to try to have Jason Zucker back up with Sidney Crosby because those two had good chemistry when they played five games together last year. See what happens there. If you can get Zucker to play well there, I think Gensel's skill set is much more transferable to both of those two players than Jason Zucker's is. And I think Zucker plays a lot better with Sidney Crosby than it does with Malkin. Meanwhile, Gensel just, he's steady as ever. And I think the big thing will be his puck handling. If you put Gensel on that second line, Gensel has a lot better puck handling than what Kasperi Kapanen has and and definitely has a lot better puck handling than what Evgeny Malkin has showed early on in this season. So maybe you have to switch the lines up. I love that third line. I mean, Zach Kastin-Reese, three goals in three games this season. You can't really argue with that logic. And, you know, in those three games, also that line is accounted for four goals if you include the Brandon Tanev goal on Sunday. Yeah, that was on Mm -hmm. Sunday as well. Sorry, I'm, I'm losing my mind a little bit, but... That line's been great, and and you hate to break it up, but when the rest of the team is playing as bad as they are, you have to do something to balance that out a little bit because if not, you have what you see on Tuesday. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, that third line is great. It's It just comes down to who you want to move around. I mean, I think our first line's fine, but you're right about if you had to move one, mm-hmm. it's got to be Gensel just because – it's not that he's played bad. It's not that at all. It's just I feel like between those three, between Rust, Crosby, and Gensel, he's probably been the least noticeable. And that's weird saying considering he's got 12 points and so does Crosby. It's just you're not hearing the name as much. It's it's just a weird dichotomy of this team, and especially in those first two lines right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so your idea of this whole what do you do with the lines is – Give it the jump it needs and switch things around. While I am a go for it, see what happens, hope things turn around, but you can't do that. You can't sit around and wait. Not this year. I'd love to be able to say, listen, we have a good team on paper. They'll come around eventually. And I've done that in previous years, and it's been fine. It's been 14 games, and I haven't seen Evgeny Malkin really come around at all. I haven't seen Jason Zucker turn the corner really that much at all. I've seen Kasperi Kapanen come in and play extremely well at times and look like he doesn't have, it looks like he has a hole in his stick in some other times. I've seen the fourth line look pretty decent. I've backed Colton Sevier. I've backed Mark Jankowski. I've backed Sam Lafferty and Drew O'Connor, but right now it looks like 
you know, Mark Donk and Buzz Flibbit down there that, you know, mm-hmm. the bad versions of those guys. It, it looks like an AHL line down there on the fourth line, and it's not helping the Pittsburgh Penguins because they're not able to meaningfully take minutes away from the top line and do it well. So it's something that can be an issue. Right now we have two good forward lines. We have two bad forward lines. Do you switch them and hope that it balances out? Do you leave them and say, you know, our two forward lines will hopefully carry us? I mean, the problem with that is first line didn't play well on Tuesday. I mean, they played okay, but they they weren't able to do what they usually do and take over a game. And guess what? The Penguins couldn't win the game. So the forwards are going to be interesting. The defense is in an enigma at this point because Mm -hmm. you look at this defense and all year, what have we been saying? Well, they're injured. They're pretty, they're such a deep team. I've seen so many times writers, podcasters, people on Twitter, the Penguins have the deepest blue line in the NHL. Just because you have players that have played in the NHL does not mean you have depth on the blue line at the, at the NHL. So what is going on with this defense? Because that excuse of everybody's injured is kind of, you know, the only player that's on our normal defense core that's out now is Brian Dumlin. So what's going on with the defense? Like, is this, especially with their performance, giving up 40 plus shots to Washington on Tuesday, what is this defense? The, the, the idea of we have the deepest defense core. Uh, let's be honest. It's because of necessity, man. We signed people to play for us because we had no defense. We got the deepest defense core because we had no one on the ice. We just, we needed more people and we haven't got rid of any of them yet. And by, gotten rid of i mean obviously there's one extra player but it's a name that you've heard of before so it's yeah it's a deep core because it's what 12 13 names long now just about 12 i think it's either 11 or 12 but yeah but yeah that you're gonna have a deep defense core whenever literally all of your defense on both rosters ahl and nhl are getting playing time that's just how that happens that being said what is this defense Dude, I don't know. Again, we don't know what this team is. We are a quarter of the way into the year. I did the math. 14 games is one-fourth of the way through the season. And we don't know what the identity of this team is, especially the defense. Now, again, yeah, defense is hurt, but everyone is coming back at this point. Mm -hmm. Everyone is coming back, and Cody Cece is the one we're talking about as being good? You couldn't have... You couldn't have paid me any money in the world at the beginning of the season to take that bet that Cody Cece would be the sh- one of the shining stars on the blue line. I mean, he's not top-line performer, but what did we say all, this whole time? Use him in the right way, and he's going to be good. Not great. Not great. Not stand out. Not Norris Trophy Cal. He's going to be good. He's going to get the job done, and that's all that matters. And he's getting the job done through... Yeah. The numbers that I don't understand, that's all I've seen. <laughs> I've just seen tweets of how good he's doing, and I say, good, we like to see that. That's that's the stuff. Um, but You referred a friend of the show, Jesse Marshall, and if he gets his stamp of approval, then you're good on the advanced metrics. I want that tweet on a shirt. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, you already mentioned that um, P.O. Joseph has played not so great recently. Uh, he's still making good defensive maneuvers, it seems. I mean... We talked about the Matt Barzal thing. That's going to happen. From then on, I mean, 
things are going to turn around in a way. Obviously, he's still a rookie. He's going to – he's a rookie playing top-line minutes at that. Yeah. He's, things are going to happen. It's the Chris Letang effect whenever Chris Letang was good. He's out there so often. Yeah, no shit. The bad things are going to happen. But hopefully the good things outweigh the bad. For the most part, it seems like P.O. Joseph, at least the good things are outweighing the bad. As for Letang, holy mother of God, what is happening? We have tried so hard to defend you this year of all years. We have tried. And uh, he's not doing himself any favors. Mm-mm. Not one. It's good to see Matheson turn his game around a little. Again, still not great. Not phenomenal. Not what we wanted. Uh, but being a bit more of an offensive threat is nice to see. And then there's the bottom line of Pedersen. Who, okay, so Pedersen's been hurt. Not much to talk about there. Am I missing a name? I know I'm missing a name. Chad Brewedel's been in and out. Yeah. Where are you at? Where where are we going with that? Chad Brewedel's been in and out, but playing decently. Discussed Joseph Letang. Mm -hmm. Marino. Marino, there's the name who... Yeah. Uh, No wonder I forgot about him. It's an interesting defense core because it is built on puck-moving defensemen and what I wouldn't give right now to have a defenseman like Ian Cole on this decor right now, because just a steady defensive presence that's not worried about making that spectacular pass, making that Paul Coffey end-to-end play, because these guys can do it. Trust me, Mike Matheson with the puck has been impressive the last couple of games. Cody yeah. Stacey has been impressive I I don't know how else to say it. He's been impressive in his role. And and the thing you said there is he he does what he's supposed to do. And that's the big thing. We asked him, do your job. Mm -hmm. We don't want you to do anything else. Just do your job. And that is the case of a defenseman who is getting paid the right contract for the job he's doing. And that is why we don't have an issue with him right now. Marcus Pedersen, like you said, just came back from injury. You can't really get on him too much about one single game. Right. John Marino has started to turn a corner in his game from where he was at the beginning of the season. I can't get too mad at that. Chris Letang is a dumpster fire of craziness this year, and I don't think anybody's going to be able to understand it. I don't think he's going to calm down. I don't think he's going to settle in. And P.O. Joseph, for all of the good things he has done, he has started to get a couple of bad habits, and he started to show a little bit of weakness in certain parts of his game. But, hey, he's a rookie. You mentioned it. The kid has only played a handful of games in the NHL. You can almost count on one hand how many games he's played in the NHL, and now he's playing on the top pairing with Chris Letang, who we've said has struggled, so you already have that added pressure and added just responsibility for playing with a guy like Letang. And then he's, he's grabbing 23, 24, 25 minutes a game as a guy who has only played 10 games in the NHL. So, yeah, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve as well. But here's the thing. We've mentioned it so many times. This is a very important season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you have a learning curve, you better pick it up fast. And if he cannot pick it up fast, then you have to figure something else out. Now, we do have Brian Dumoulin, who will eventually return to the lineup. At that point, do you put Dumoulin back with Letang? Maybe, possibly. I could see it. I would love to see Marino play with with P.O. Joseph and see what they're able to, to accomplish together for an extended period of time. But... This defense is not defensive enough for me. That's that's what it comes down to. This defense is not 
defensive enough for me. It, it's not it's not a bad defense when it comes to moving the puck, but defensively they're they're just nowhere close to good enough. And of course, after a win, he'll start talking. Here's our our good friend hockey troll decides yeah, that he wants to tell us to fold the team. That's never obviously going to happen. Troll was fairly quiet. On Sunday, um, he was very quiet. Sunday night, at Valentine's Day night. Maybe he was busy yeah. you know, doing Valentine's Day things. He was fairly quiet that night, but fairly loud Tuesday night. Uh, we'll leave it at that with you, Troll. Uh, love you, buddy. Uh, hope your hope your live stream went well. I was trying to be real, trying to be real fun in the Slack chat not a few nights ago. <laughs> well, I mean, for Hockey Troll, as we are at the quarter mark here, as of right now, I would have to buy, I would have to buy a shirt, a jersey about uh sorry there's there's something else from the hockey troll he was busy or he was busy being angry on sunday that's that's fair enough but yeah what's that bet you two have again oh whoever goes the farthest between the penguins and the capitals and that doesn't matter about regular season stats it's whoever gets closest to the cup the other person has to get a jersey and wear it on every single after hours in the off season so right now i'm not looking too hot in that bet but you know, it's I thought it was the season. season. I thought it was the season series between the two teams. I thought you were on a good roll for a minute. Oh, if it was the season series, we're up three to one. I'd be I'd be swimming in it right now, but I digress on that point. We have yeah. one more person to talk about before we get into our big Geno discussion. I want to talk a little bit about Tristan Jari because I said he was a little Jekyll and Hyde this season so far. He had a good performance on Sunday with a 903 save percentage, allowing three goals. He had a great performance on Tuesday, 39 saves on 42 shots, which is a 929 save percentage. Again, only allowing three goals. It'd be a miracle if the Penguins could allow less than three goals or even less than two goals. But at the same time, Tristan Jari seems to have been playing pretty well. Those, of course, his first two games ever against the Washington Capitals. I thought he handled it pretty well. Uh, No goals, if I remember correctly, by Alex Ovechkin. So good on Tristan Jari in his first couple games against Washington, but it's good to see him starting to, to turn a corner and pick it up a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it hurts to take a loss, especially against the Capitals. It's not fun. But the fact that Tristan Jari in his first two appearance, appearances against the Capitals has held Ovechkin to zero goals. Or not zero points, but I mean, <laughs> uh, that one's on Malkin, which we'll get to. Um, the fact that he's been able to do that slide, especially with the amount of power plays that – the Capitals had holding Ovechkin to no goals is good on the goaltender. Good on Tristan Jari. Again, it hurts to get the loss, but what else can you do whenever you get peppered with 40 shots in a game? The fact that they took on 40 shots and scored three, they scored three. That's not bad, but that's only looking at the goaltending standpoint. The rest of the team, obviously not looking good. Yeah. Um, we hope he's turning it around. We want him to be turning it around because here we are again, more goaltending trade discussions. Everyone is coming out of the woodwork with every goaltender in the league <laughs> as part of the as part of trades, but yeah. oh, something something's gotta give. Either Jari's gotta do well. Who knows? At that crossroad, maybe a goaltending change is necessary. <laughs> Honestly. You said two words there that I love to talk about. Who knows? Because at this point, this season, who really knows how this season's going to end? Nobody does. Nobody you does. You can't predict this stuff. And especially if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins fan trying to predict, predict the goaltending situation, Tristan Jari 
like I said, he didn't play bad the last two games. He actually played fairly well, yeah. especially early on in that game on Tuesday. Two pretty much breakaways shorthanded out of nowhere for Washington, and he was able to hold the fort down. But as far as Jari's concerned, he's turning the corner. That's what we need to see. As far as other goalies and possible trades, we have a really fun Pens poll up right now on our Twitter page at Iceberg Podcast, so go visit that. It's an easy a, one, too. It's not, oh, not yeah, a lot no of thinking. Question. So you have a couple more days to get your vote in on that, and we'll discuss that on our Monday episode next week of the Tip of the Iceberg. But we're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, we're taking a deep dive into Evgeny Malkin, his performance so far this year. We're going to give a little bit of credence to the Trade Malkin group, and we're going to talk a little bit about that whole just enigma of a faction of Penn's Twitter. But we'll be right back. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast podcast network my name is nick berlanski i'm here with nick horowat and we're talking about evgeny malkin it's been a rough season especially when you consider after tuesday night's game evgeny malkin has less points on the season than third line center teddy bluger it's not a good look for gino not a good look at all horowat what do you do with evgeny malkin right now the way he's playing i mean what can you do he's evgeny malkin i mean I, what to do is so hard because can you bench him? Can you shorten his playing time? Can you give him shorter shifts? Can you give him new line mates, which we've kind of already discussed a little bit? It's really hard to tell. I mean, my biggest question would be is, I mean, I would respond to what do you do with Evgeny Malkin with another question, which is would you bench him or cut his ice time? Because those seem to be the only viable options at this point unless things turn around i mean something's got to kick him in gear we said a few episodes ago that um you know and it's been said before that he plays better with a crowd and we've seen that and we know that now taking that away from him that can't be the effect this long yeah it, it can be a start a little bit of a, a little bit of a damper at the beginning of the season but like i said we're a quarter of the way into the season not having a crowd is not a good enough reason anymore not having a good off-season workout regimen, not a good enough excuse anymore. We're into the season. like We are not in this whole early season enigma thing anymore. Now you can look at standings and start taking them a little seriously. 
mm-hmm. and we're not in the playoffs. So we guys are taking that a little seriously. For Gino, it's really like what to do with him. I respond to the question: What do you? Would you, is the best option to take him out of the lineup? Is the best option to shorten his playing time? Because we know he's Evgeny Malkin. We know he can still do something. I mean, seven points. Yeah, it's not great. It's better than a lot of the team right now. So we know he's not, you know, doing terribly stati- statistics wise. But he's not playing to the Evgeny Malkin standard. And I think that's the part that is getting noticed. It's he's not playing to his standard. He might be playing. He might have more points than Jared McCann, although he's hurt and guys like Jankowski, but we didn't expect that kind of thing from them. We didn't expect Teddy Bluger to have eight points, but here we are, and he's doing very well, and we love that. Then there's Malkin, who is the lineup from him and is the highest paid player on this team, and he needs to start performing like it. There's no other way around it. Evgeny Malkin's not playing great, and it's because it's not his standard. Evgeny Malkin is not the type of player that you bench. Right. Because it's not the type he's not the type of player that will take that and use it the correct way, I don't think. I obviously don't know him personally, but I don't think benching him and telling him, hey, you're gonna watch this game in a suit from the press box is really gonna get the right message across for him. And I don't think lowering his minutes really does all that much either. I think all that does is limit the amount of time he's out there and it kind of messes with his game a little bit because he has always been better when he gets more responsibility. Case in point, anytime Sidney Crosby's hurt, Evgeny Malkin starts to look like Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux in some kind of freakish mixture because he just plays out of his mind. But when Crosby's back, we get different variations of Evgeny Malkin, but we've never seen an Evgeny Malkin variation as or is the one that we've seen in the first 14 games this year. It's not it's not a good sign and it's not a good look. You said he's the most he's the highest paid player on this team and he has been for the past decade. He cannot be playing this poorly. So what do you do with him? I have no idea. <laughs> bench him. You can't lower his minutes because you need his line to be playing really well and we'll get into that in a second. The only other option is to let him play through it and hope and pray to God that he turns it around because if he does not, I'm going to be wearing a Tom Wilson jersey for the better part of the next summer, and I'm not going to be happy about that. But my bet aside, you have to just hope he plays better because this team, I mentioned it on the last episode, I'm not sure Sidney Crosby has what it takes to solely take this team to the promised land without the help of Evgeny Malkin. And by help, I mean literally any signs of life from the guy wearing 71. We haven't really seen that other than in his one tying goal in New York where all he had to do was slap shot the puck the way that we know he can do it. It's such an easy thing that it's surprising that he hasn't been able to do something to a modicum of that the rest of the season. But the big thing about letting him play through his struggles and hoping that he turns it around, who is he going to be playing with that will help him through that? Because we already mentioned a little bit earlier that we think that maybe switching the lines would be a good idea and getting somebody else there is a good idea. I think Gensel and Tanev are the perfect line mates. We don't have to dig into the whole lineup, but on this team, 
who would you surround Evgeny Malkin with to help him out of this funk? I mean, we thought Kapanen for a minute. And I didn't think that was a bad duo, those two. I thought, I think we all kind of thought watching Kapanen play with Malkin was going to be the Kickstarter. I think we did. It was this, this speed that Kapanen brings that's phenomenal. If he's just able to hold on to the puck a little longer, stuff can happen. He can create space for Gino. And they seem to have a good little combination. They seem to play fairly decently together. It's just not coming together, and it's not coming together in the correct way. Mm-hmm. I I mean, we saw the Tana thing in spurts, but I you need to see that in a in a longer mm-hmm. um in a longer experiment. You can't just throw them out there mid game and say go at it, see what happens. You're not going to get much out of that. We don't know if those two work out. I don't. I I mean, aside from. Tuesday when's the last time those two actually played together the beginning of last season the first time Tanev came to Pittsburgh okay well I mean and then Malk got hurt like three games into the year last year though yeah so we have not literally the first period of game two yeah we have not seen those two play together so it's hard to tell if that's really what can kickstart him I mean yeah Malk is going to play well with speedy guys and obviously we saw it happening for a game or two but what's happened since then Maybe Tanev's the right move. I like the Gensel idea because Zucker seems to play better with Crosby, and Gensel is a guy that can probably play with anyone. It's just interesting. I mean, Malkin's such an enigma. I mean, I threw the uh, the options out of can you bench him and can you shorten his playing time, and you answered those perfectly, both of them. You can't bench him because he's that's not how he's going to take it, and you don't want to shorten his playing time because he is still Evgeny Malkin, and he does still have a use. He's just got to find it. Who's going to be the one that helps him with it? It might. Who knows? That's the thing. It's who really knows. You got to dissect a lineup to do it. It seems. Now, one of the big questions that I I kind of semi answered in my little rant there about what do you do with him is can the Penguins succeed with him playing like this? I said no. And listen, I think they might be able to scratch and claw their way into a playoff spot, but that's only because they're still playing well half the time with him like this against teams they need to beat to get in. They're they're playing decently against the Islanders and they're playing decently against the Capitals. I mean, they're they're three and one against the Capitals this year. Mm -hmm. And both of those teams are currently ahead of them. So obviously being able to play well against those, you should be able to play well against the teams behind you, similar to Buffalo, New Jersey, who they haven't played once this season. They still have their full eight game slate. So you should be able to get those wins. You should be able to rack up those points in the latter half of the season. So I think they might be able to make the playoffs with Malkin being like this. But even if you do, you're not going anywhere. Hell no. Hell no. I think he has to be good for us to make the playoffs. I really do. Yeah, you're going to get wins against the bad teams. I mean, granted, we haven't played three teams that, right, three? Buffalo, New Jersey, just those two? We haven't played... My mind is, yeah, yeah I think it's it. Buffalo, New Jersey. Okay, and those and those are two teams. You're not going to win all 16 of those games. Mm-hmm. But, damn it, if you could take 14, I think you're doing something good. And that's that's a really high hope there. If you can take 10 of those 16, maybe, you got a good pace there. And even maybe get an overtime loss in there somewhere. That's pretty decent. Now, it does depend on what the rest of the division does and what those teams do against other teams. It's a weird system this year, but you got to roll with it, and I think it's going to be fun. But 
you can pick up wins there. I just think it's going to come down to the bigger games. It's going to come down to the way we play against Philadelphia or Boston and the last handful against Washington that he has to be the one that steps it up himself. Like I said, I want more I want more than anything now for him and Kaplan to work out, bare minimum. Cuz that looks like it's going to be it could be a ton of fun. But it's got to come around for Malkin. Kaplan's bringing it already. We've seen it. He may be down a little bit, but he's due to really turn his game around again and just be that speedy kid. Whereas, I mean, Zucker, I don't know. It's up to Malkin himself. It's up to him himself. And thank, thankfully, he's admitted it already that he knows he needs to be better. But at the same time, this isn't the first time you've had to admit that. And it probably won't be the last. Yeah. So... Uh, I think that the Penguins probably can't succeed with him playing like this because it's going to come down to his play in the bigger games. That's all there is to it. He's going to be a difference. He's got to be a difference maker. And turning that corner is going to be very important for Evgeny Malkin. But let's let's leave reality for a minute and let's go into fairy tale land because there is a, a question that has popped up once again and as it does annually. <laughs> on Penn's Twitter and let's indulge it right now. Let's indulge the trade of getting Malkin crowd. I'll even put, I'll even put a thing up there, a, a graphic for our live audience. What do you get? If you trade Evgeny Malkin right now, I, I have a simple answer to this. I'll let you answer your way first and, and then I'll give mine. Cool. If, if we're trading away Malkin, I set up, I set a first, a first round pick a prospect and a number two center clean. I didn't name names. I didn't say a team. I said those three specific entities. I don't even think you get a second line center with that. I I think if you you're lucky, you get a first and a prospect because of the, at least this sure name value that is Evgeny Malkin. The name value will bring a first. Yes. That's almost for certain. The name value could bring a first to a couple of characters on this. You might get two prospects. One not so good, though. I'm talking top prospect. I mean, he's Evgeny Malkin, and I based my answer solely out of he's Evgeny Malkin. How does that sound? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen trades work out where um, players get moved and completely redo their careers. Yeah. Com- uh, completely revitalize their careers. Yeah, he's 35. 34. Yeah, yeah he's in his 30s, but... You never know. A change of scenery could do something for a good season and a half to two seasons for a certain team that maybe is in a spot where they could use the next two years to really build off a veteran player like that. So, and they're willing to give up for it. Again, I didn't name a team. I just shot from the hip with mm-hmm. name value could at least get you a first yeah. for sure. Uh, we just want a prospect because we need prospects to build for this future. And our prospect pool is, uh Baron, and I said number two center because I'm assuming we, I, I'm assuming name value's got just enough to give us some sort of replacement. Doesn't it's have pretty, to be much of a number two. Yeah, that's fair. Like an Eric Stahl type, uh, as far I think you're t- you're talking right now. But here is the cut and dry answer. You do you know what you get if you trade Evgeny Malkin right now? You get the slamming shut of whatever modicum of a window, whatever sliver of a window is still open. It is is done. 
It is gone. You might as well have just drywalled over it because the Penguins, as we just mentioned, are not going to win a Stanley Cup with Evgeny Malkin playing the way he has, and they're definitely not going to win a Stanley Cup with Evgeny Malkin traded. So what you get if you trade him is the drywalling of the window that you've had for the past 15 years. That is it. It is done. It is finished. You might as well start the rebuild. I understand you don't want to trade Crosby. You better not trade Crosby. I honestly think if they trade Crosby, it it will make me question a lot of my thoughts and beliefs in life. But if you trade Evgeny Malkin, which should not happen, let's be completely clear on this. We both believe that that is an awful idea. If you trade him, the window is over. Now, should this even be a discussion? I would say no. I would say this should not be a discussion at any point unless he flat out comes out and says that he wants to be traded. That is the only time that we should be even putting any serious modicum of of an interest into his trading. Now, but if there was to be a discussion, it would be after this season. That's what I will say. I will say in an honest manner, if there is to be a discussion about this, it'll be after this season. At, at any point in his career, that will when it seriously be when it seriously happens. But still, even then, it's, it's nothing. Yeah, and it's not so, and it would have to be out of the season, and not so much because of um, the discussion that happens. It's the discussion that happens every year. We know that it is, and it always will be. It would happen this year more than any other because he's played bad so far. Let's not sugarcoat it. He's played bad, and not on top of that, it's next year's the last year of the deal which is where trades happen for players. That's the that's the part of it that really gets people to go, okay, now let's take a look, because he's got one year left. That's kind of the popular spot for guys to get dealt. And he's a name that, no matter the age, he it's, he's one of those names that any team would be stupid not to be not to give Hextall just a call. Be like, what do you want? We'll just go from there. I mean, I'm sure there are teams that wouldn't go near it because it's a high cap hit. Cap hit. The cap's not going to move, and hmm. teams just can't afford it. But I'm sure at least 20 teams, let's say that the ball gets tossed. Hey, Malkin, I'm sure there's at least 20 GMs that are just giving a call. Just a simple, what would it be? Not going into, I got this, this, this on the table right now. It would just be the simple... Let's let me hear you out. Let me yeah. see what you would want. And the dis, that's just the discussion, kind of like what I think everyone thought Jim Rutherford did with Latang last year, where he just tossed the name to 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 test the waters. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel that Malkin situation would go. It's not so much a here's what we're doing. It would be a I'm just seeing what people are offering me. The big yeah. thing with Evgeny Malkin is he's here until he doesn't want to be. Exactly. That's And for anybody who, who is thinking about saying, oh, maybe Evgeny Malkin will get traded. No, he's here until he wants to be. And until you hear it from him that he doesn't want to be here, he's going to be here. So that that's the easy answer to that. The Penguins should not be interested in trading Evgeny Malkin. We just wanted to give a little bit of credence mm-hmm. to that whole trade Malkin brigade of, of, of tweets give that a little bit of credence here on the show but in all reality it's not something that's going to happen but we're going to take a quick break when we return we're going to finish it off with our shout outs and call outs segment we'll be right back 
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're back here on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. Before we get into shout-outs and call-outs, I did forget one of our bet, uh, one of our more loyal listeners, Wesley Reed, did add, actually send in two more questions, which we always enjoy answering any questions that you guys send us. So please don't hesitate. Send it to at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter or Instagram or Tip of the Iceberg Podcast on Facebook. Just send us any questions you want us to talk about on the show. We love getting your questions. We love answering your questions. So Wesley sent us two the first one he sent us is, is it time to think about trading Brian Dumoulin due to him being injured almost constantly? And whenever he is in the lineup, he almost seems to be more of a liability more than not. So Horwat, what do you think about that quick answer about Brian Dumoulin? Do you think he should be on the trade block anytime soon? That's a fun question. I actually really like that one. I mean, let's put his, is it modified? Yeah, let's put his modified no trade clause aside. Um. You know what? It might be because this is a team that could use a huge shakeup, obviously, especially defensively. I mean, when, when him and Ricola finally return from injury, whew, man, yeah, we have defensive depth because we have so many injuries and we had to sign a player. We just have a laundry list of defensemen now. Um, and honestly, with the kind of cap situation that the whole league is hitting, um, 4.1, off the books or maybe half of that off the books. It's something, it's something to help. Yeah. He's always hurt. I'm even putting injuries aside in this situation. I'm straight up saying Dumoulin's not a guy that's going to be here forever. I mean, most of this team is guys that aren't going to be here forever. It's rare that players begin and end a career and with the same team, we're lucky enough to have two, two, possibly three who might do it. Let's get all that trade discussion out of the way there. They might do it. Um, Dumoulin, I think, is just a sure shot of you look at it now and you realize why would we sign him to a modified no-trade clause because once he's healthy and playing well, I mean, he hasn't played well since before his injury in St. Louis. He's a valuable trade piece. You could get a lot back from him. He's a guy that might carry a first-round value. Might. Might. On a good day. Not anymore, probably, but on a good day. He's a guy that could carry a first-round value because you can sell him to teams and just say, hey, listen, he's not going to score you points. He's not. He might get you a lucky clutch goal in the playoffs every now and again, <laughs> but he's not going to score you points. You know what he is going to do? He's going to have play the best damn defense. Defense. And it's in the position. It's in the name of the position. He's going to play the best defense on your team. And you could sell that to a bunch of teams who need defense right now. But he's hurt and he's not playing as well, so you kind of lost the first rounder value there. But... Yeah, it might be time to start looking at him as a trade, and I will straight up say that, and I will hold to that. We've got to see how things go. He's got to turn his game around, too, once he's healthy. He's got to. He has to. I put him I put him in as in, as in my top 10 defenseman in franchise history. I look like <laughs> an did. idiot now. <laughs> I look like an idiot now, but at the time, I genuinely thought that. Um, I mean, hell, I also put Zarly Zalapsky in there, so I've learned a lot in my day, but um, you know what? I think I'm at the point of coming down the end of his current contract. He could be worth something valuable. He could be one of those pieces that once the window closes, yes, here's how we're going to restock the cabinet by trading a guy like Brian Dumlin. But I don't think that's quite yet. And 
it's for the one reason that Horwat kind of mentioned there. He's a defenseman that plays defense. And what did I say earlier in this episode? The Penguins have a bunch of defensemen that don't play very very well in their own yeah. zone. They're, they're more focused on moving the puck than they are about playing defense. And I get that moving the puck is a part of defense now. But a guy like Ian Cole would be lovely to have on this team. And guess what? Brian Dumoulin is pretty much like a guy like Ian Cole when he's playing well. He's better than Ian Cole when he's playing well, but he just hasn't done that in a while. And it might be due to the injuries. He's <laughs> suffered a lot of injuries in the past year or two. But when he comes back, you have to hope that he can come back strong and he can help kind of mitigate what Chris Letang has been lately. So I don't think you trade him anytime soon. It, it does stink that he has been injured as much as he has, but I don't think he's a trade target as of right now. But let's get into his second question, and then we'll finish off with shout-outs and call-outs. The second question from Wesley was, is Mike Sullivan somewhat on the hot seat for the team's performance this season so far? and not willing to just stick with the hot hand and playing a different goalie every other game. So the question is really about his deployment, and is it going to cost him his job? Horwath, do you think Sully is kind of putting himself in a bad position with management with the way that he's deployed his goaltenders? I don't think it's because of the way he's deployed his goaltenders. It could be because of other things. Uh, I think he might be in a hot seat, quote-unquote hot seat. We're not going to say he's getting fired. We're going to say once this season is over, I mean, I think that's the way even management's looking at it. Once the season's over, we're going to really evaluate things. He might be one of the things we evaluate if things fall apart this year. Rightfully so, I'd say at this at that point. Um, I'd say he's in a hot seat just because the team hasn't been that great and it's not his fault. Not his fault. Might be. I don't know the details. <laughs> but, I mean, sometimes, the, the Pittsburgh way. Fire your coach halfway through the year, go on a cup run. His time might be coming just so we can get another damn banner. I don't know who's available. We don't want Babcock. Please no. God, no. <laughs> I don't know who else is available, but Mike Sullivan might be in the hot seat just because a coaching change is something that jolts a team, especially a good team. Hmm. On bad teams, that means nothing. And I'm not saying fire Mike Sullivan. I'm not. I am not. I'm saying we just know that if this season falls apart, he is going to be part of the evaluation. That's all there is to it. That is 100% the truth, because if you look at the history of any sport ever, if in one summer all of the assistants get fired, you yeah. better perform, because if not, the next summer the head coach is getting fired. The, the firing of assistant coach squad or assistant coach cadre is – because they don't want to fire the head coach, but they need a change in leadership yep. there. And they need a change in coaching. So guess what? Sullivan, still one of the best coaches in Penguins history. He is not on the hot seat just yet. We'll see where the season ends. Because he yep. has been dealt a really shitty hand this season so far. Between having Tristan Jari play the way he did at the beginning of the season. Between having every defenseman in the lineup basically yep. miss at least a game to start this season. Minus, I believe, John Marino is the only one that's played in every game. Between having Evgeny Malkin not play well. Between having Jason Zucker not play well. A non-existent fourth line. The fact that these guys are 7-6-1, and one, it's not a reflection of bad coaching. It's a reflection of a lot has gone wrong for this team. Basically... What could go wrong has go gone wrong for the Pittsburgh Penguins, with the exception of a few 
world ending disaster things happening. We'll knock on wood that none of those happen. I won't even speak them into existence, but I don't think Sully's on the hot seat. And I definitely don't, I don't have a problem with the way he's deployed his goaltenders. He has always been a guy that rides the hot hand. And here's the thing though. He's always had a guy that has had two starters basically, you know, with flurry and Murray who are both in here for different stints. Now you have a guy in Casey DeSmith who's played fairly decently. He's not putting up good numbers, but he's been able to get wins. And then you have a guy like Tristan Jari, who in the last two games has played well and has, in my opinion, stole back that starting job and should play at least 75% of the games right now because he's a goalie that plays better when he has that net day in and day out. So I don't see a problem with the way that he's deployed, and I don't see him on the hot seat just yet. If they finish this season in sixth or seventh place in the division, maybe the seat warmer gets turned on a little bit. Maybe we go on to one. If if it's a scale of five, maybe we go on to two or three on the seat warmer there, and he gets a little bit of a hot seat or a warm seat. But I don't think it's there, and I think it's going to take some pretty extenuating circumstances to get there this season. Yeah, it's just – it's interesting to say the least. I mean – it's definitely not in the way he's deploying goalies because no. Jari's the starter. Yes. That's it. That's the end of it. I mean, Jari's the starter, so you play your starter. Even when teams are bad, they're playing their starter because he is their starting goalie. I mean, Jimmy Howard got lit up like a Christmas tree last year because he was their starter. And the year before that, again, because he was their starting goalie. This year, Tristan Jari's the starter, good or bad. He's been better. We know that. He's been better. Um. Casey DeSmith has been a good backup. Okay. That doesn't mean you start him every game. Not yet. Until he really proves he can be a starter in this league. Uh, Yeah, you just roll with Jari for now because we have a 1-2, not a 1-A and 1-B. There's no other way of putting it. It sucks. I mean, anyone else remember the time when Flurry was bad during the playoffs? We couldn't turn to anyone because we didn't have a backup. What were we going to do? Put in Thomas Grice before he went to the Islanders? Nope. Yeah, Brent Johnson. <sighs> Passed his prime Brent Johnson at that. Yeah. We got lucky we had a veteran in Vokun that one year. In 2013. Else- yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they would not have come. They would not have sniffed the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. That's just it's that's just the way goaltending works is you roll with your number one mm-hmm. and your backup has to play good. That's a great question, though. I, the idea of Mike Sullivan – Uh, Being on the hot seat, it's a discussion that we're going to have, I'm sure, come down the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Next offseason, that could be our our main topic, to be completely honest, for at least a month. Who knows? Because as of right now, Sullivan, he doesn't have a really big protective shield around him. He he isn't performing badly, in my opinion. But it doesn't mean that he's not in position to possibly be put on the hot seat. Yeah, and the way I'm seeing it is this offseason, this offseason, depending on how the season goes, everything's on the table because it's a new management group that wants to change the team. And they said, we're going to re- we're gonna look at this year and evaluate. Yeah. That's why I don't expect huge changes to happen this year. I just, I don't. It's going to all happen in the offseason. We're going to, we have to be good this year unless we want to see these kind of moves. Mm-hmm. So. Who knows? It's going to be a fun season, and those are honestly great questions, great topics, and things we will discuss a lot coming up anyway. 
Another thank you goes out to Wesley Reed for sending in those questions. As we mentioned, if you have any questions for us and you want us to answer them on the show, we will always accept and answer any question. No question is a dumb question. And some questions like those two are very good questions that we absolutely love to talk about. So please send us your questions at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram and at the tip of the Iceberg Podcast on Facebook as well. But let's get into shout outs and call outs. This week is presented by Manscaped. Of course, you can visit manscaped.com and use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. So let's get into it. Shout outs and call outs. Horwat. Who are you shouting out this week? Who got on your good side this week? See, last week I had a list of uh, call-outs. This week I had a list of shout-outs, but I will hey. only cover one. Um, and hey, you listen, I know we're from Pittsburgh, and baseball is not a fun topic. No. It's not. No. But pitchers and catchers reported today as of recording. It's The spring is coming is what that means, really, for, the, for America. For Pittsburgh, you look at that and say, well... <laughs> or disappointment at least we're finally admitting we're going to be a bad team this year yeah finally that's a good start but it's not the mlb that i'm shouting out i'm shouting out actually ironically the pirates for their handling of um this graph that got put out by fan graphs was tweeted by the mlb uh, you're giggling at it i'm sure you saw the graph already it is the yep. playoff odds for every team in the league um and the pirates are sitting at a 0.4 percent chance to make the playoffs First of all, it's not the bottom. There is a team that has zero, completely zero. That's Baltimore. I don't understand how, how that could be a possibility, but yeah. Yes, and they sneak their way into this um, shout-out as well because I'm glad teams can see stuff like that and, and know they're bad and roll with the punches because the Pirates Twitter account lovingly tweeted out a picture of – or two pictures of uh, – spongebob just throwing a paper into a fire that was supposed to be the graph great work by them and then it got better because fan graphs was the name of the people that made the chart tweeted back don't make us take that 0.4 percent away but they messed up because their first tweet was 0.1 and the pirates caught it screenshotted it and said don't make us take that phone away (laughs) so good on the pirates media team for giving us something to look forward to this year and that is just being a bad team and the Baltimore Orioles snuck into this because they decided to respond to it too as well with um with an office meme, which was fan graphs. I would like you to crunch those numbers again. <laughs> Just Michael Scott wearing a Baltimore <laughs> Orioles hat. Crunch. And it's good see it's so much fun seeing sports meet sport sports social media pages have fun. It's amazing. It makes the sport fun, especially when your teams are bad, mm-hmm. like the point zero zero percent Baltimore Orioles and the 0.4% Pittsburgh Pirates. So thank you guys for having fun. That's all there is to it. You're going to be bad this year, but you know what? Have fun with it. It's great. Man, baseball is wild. There's so much difference between the bottom and the top of that league that it's unbelievable. That's So a 0.4% chance of making the playoffs. It's not zero. <laughs> it's not zero. But, you know, that's something to hang your hat on for a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. But my shout-out this week comes also from social media. My shout-out goes to Adam Sandler and Christopher McDonald, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin. They're dueling videos to pay homage to the 25th anniversary of the movie Happy Gilmore, which is one of the best hockey movies of all time. Yes, it is a hockey movie simply because 
Happy Gilmore wears a Boston Bruins jersey. But we've all tried, of course, the Happy Gilmore drive. I think absolutely we have both tried that at Top Golf in Pittsburgh, and it has not gone well for either of us. But <laughs> talk about a movie we literally grew up with. I mean, this is going to be the 25th anniversary of my life coming up this year, and the hey. 25th anniversary of this movie. So literally grew up with this movie. So many great one-liners and a fantastic job by both Adam Sandler and Christopher McDonald posting those social media posts. Of course, Adam Sandler being just himself and Christopher McDonald. Yes, that is his name for everybody that doesn't know Shooter McGavin's real name. It is Christopher McDonald, but that just, that made my day, made me very happy. And that's why I wanted to give it a shout out this week. You took my other shout out. Thank, thank goodness. I didn't roll with that one. Uh, everything you said. Yeah. So fun watching. Uh, I didn't realize it was 25 years old and I mean, it's not my favorite movie, but I have watched it a couple times, obviously, and it's hysterical. It's great. You, tap, the, tap, tap it in. The clips from it are awesome, always. <laughs> um, yeah, great movie. It's all, and again, it's more social media fun. It's fun seeing actors still do their thing. And um, granted, Chris, Christopher McDonald. Mm-hmm. All right. See, I didn't know his name. Um, it's good to see that he's he's not typecast in that, but I mean, Basically, basically typecast as shooter McGavin. Yep, and good on him for being a good sport about it. It's always fun seeing people be good sports, and only Adam Sandler could go on a golf course looking like that and get away with it. Pretty much, yeah. Only Adam Sandler. Good stuff. Horowitz, let's get into callouts. I'd like to start this one off. My callout this week. They ruined my parlay. The Toronto Maple Leafs for having a 5-1 to one lead with 30 seconds left in the second period against the worst team in the National Hockey League, the Ottawa Senators, and still finding a way to lose the game 6-5 to five in overtime, not only ruining their own fans' nights and probably entire weeks, maybe even months, but ruining my parlay and making me absolutely hate them for at least the next four days. <laughs> Oh, the Leafs, man, the Leafs, the Leafs. I could you? That was that was that game was in Toronto. Yes, they should be happy that coronavirus is a thing for that night. Could you imagine that crowd? I get they've blown leads before. I get that I've seen pictures of the Mount Rushmore of Toronto blown leads, <laughs> and that one was on there. But come on, could you imagine that crowd? That Toronto Maple Leafs crowd. Over under on jerseys that would have been thrown on the ice. I'm saying six. One for each goal they gave up in that game. Yep, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, that honestly, it, here's the thing. I will stand by us, and this goes for the Penguins too. If you are up 5-1 and go into overtime, you don't deserve to win. You don't. Because you did something wrong. How late in the game was that 5-1 lead? Because that's the only thing I forgot to look into. 30 seconds left in the second period. That's over, over half the game. Yeah. Or under half the game. That's that's 20 seconds away from only one period left. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what that's basically one period of play where you decided to just blow it. Let's let's ignore the fact that they gave up a goal with 30 seconds left in the second period. They had a three-goal lead going into the third period against the worst team in hockey and still lost in overtime. Yeah. That's not good. That's They're lucky there was no crowd there. Um, and 
the Leafs, man. I... <laughs> that's all you have to say. Oh my god! Literally, was... that's the only thing that needs to be said is, ah, uh, the Leafs, man. You know who may have helped there? Alex Galchenyuk. No. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. Have, that have poor fun man. with him. Have fun with him, Toronto. That poor man. Or what's your call out? Let, let's finish off this week. Uh, there wasn't too many things to be mad at this week, so my call out goes to Mother Nature. Uh, I'm usually not one for complaining about the weather. I'm not. I actually don't. I hate when people do complain about the weather, but here I am. Uh, not complaining, but Mother Nature just decided to throw everyone an ice ball <laughs> and and really start messing things up in Texas. And I don't mean to get on the jokes of, damn, Texas couldn't handle it. No, Texas is actually struggling right now. Yeah, it's not as bad as up north, but Texas is not doing well. And Whenever they don't have the proper equipment, we, we say this up north, oh, you got a little bit of snow. They don't have salt trucks. Yeah. They, they a, don't have this stuff that makes it bearable in the north. Yeah, it's a little different this year in Texas. Don't get, and most of the time, yeah, I'll be one to say, well, it's because you guys don't have salt trucks. Just, I mean, you guys all have pickups. You can handle it. Uh, this year, no, it got it got a little heavier down there than normal, and for the first time ever, every county in Texas was under winter storm warning. So, <laughs> yeah, that's Texas. Man, things are not going well down there. But yeah, Mother Nature decided to throw everyone up north an ice ball, me included. I had to get gas. I was up at the gas pump whenever I realized, oh, my car's still covered in ice. Couldn't get the gas tank open. Ooh. Decided to turn around and get it the next day. So. Uh, other than that, yeah, well, the, the bad weather is coming back. So everyone, don't bear, don't buckle down. Like I said, I'm not one to usually complain about weather, but this recent snowstorm is a wild one. I mean, I think there's still ice on my car somewhere. <laughs> just it was just interesting. I mean, yeah, it wasn't snowmageddon from ten years ago. No, but that was fun. That was fun. I love snow. That's just me. I like the winter time and going on walks when it's snowy out but that's just me um yeah it just calling out mother nature because she decided to be a bitch and ruin everyone's day i did see a pretty cool video from from texas where a guy was ice skating in his backyard pool and i was like yeah that's pretty interesting i wouldn't trust that at all but you know you do you uh as far as the weather it hasn't started quite down here yet but we're supposed to get it tomorrow morning. So yeah, it'll be nice and snowy. I am fortunately working from home tomorrow, so I won't have to deal with it. But Horwat, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Unless you have anything else to say to the listeners before we go for the rest of the weekend. Uh, no, I mean, we did the live show and it worked out perfectly. So smooth. Thank you, Troll, for the comments. We love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Wesley, for the questions. We also love those. And to everyone... Uh, yeah, keep sending over questions. Keep sending out trade reviews, trade requests, because, I mean, hey, the trade talk's going to happen now. We said some fiery things on this recording. And we still have teams we have yet to play. And the, the rest of the season's still going to be interesting. And that's all I got. I'm tired, man. Yeah, I'm a little tired, too. So I think that's when we're going to yep. say goodbye. And we do have some... Teams to play that we haven't played yet, but let's not forget the rest of February, we're still playing the same two teams in the Islanders and the Capitals. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Follow us on Twitter at Iceberg Podcast. We thank everybody that was here on the live show with us. We thank everybody that has tuned into the podcast version. And Horwood, do you have something else that you wanted to say? 
I do have one more note because I just realized this. Um, Crosby's one thousandth game will happen before we record again, probably. It should happen on Saturday, correct? Yep, that's what I think. So. Saturday. So, everybody, buckle up. Saturday, Sidney Crosby's one thousandth game. It will be in PPG Paints Arena. We will be obviously talking about it on our next yep. episode. He's actually, this past week is the anniversary of his 1,000th point, so it all kind of ties yep. together a little bit. Real but fun. Everybody tune in on Saturday then to see Sidney Crosby play in his 1,000th game, the first player in Penguins history to do so. We'll all enjoy that, but that's going to be it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We'll see you guys next week. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.